there, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast all about the legend of Zelda. I'm your host, Crystal, with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. We're going to do a mailbag because we have a lot of emails because our listeners have very graciously sent us in many emails. Yay. It's something we really appreciate. But before we get to emails, we have two Twitter questions. Ooh. Both from Jason. Jason writes in, just finished the TV show episode. New theory. The show is canon. The evil jar is an ancient Gerudo artifact, which is where all Ganons get monsters from. Ganon is dead in Z2 because the jar breaks and he died in the explosion. Blood Moon equals evil jar use. That That's an interesting theory. I, I have always accepted the cartoon as canon. Oh no. Uh-huh. However, I'm not I'm not sure that the evil jar has anything marking it as a Gerudo artifact. Yeah, I think in this case, um, this is the equation of Gerudo with ancient dark magic, and I don't know that that actually tracks. For all we know, it's like ancient Sheikah magic. I would say demon you tribe know, shadowy magic. demon tribe works. Yeah. But I mean, Sheikahs and shadows and trying to put all of the bad stuff in the kingdom or rather we have just as much connecting it to the sheikah as we do the gerudo which is to say not much of anything Mm -hmm. we know the sheikah make torture devices that is canon that is canon they do do that no i reject this and i also (laughs) reject your non-rejection of the idea of the cartoon as canon why is that evil jar is actually to which part do you mean mm-hmm. my rejection of this theory or my rejection of your non-rejection? Yeah, why, why do you reject the cartoon's canon? Didn't we talk about this in the cartoon episode? Yes, but let's... We're going to relitigate now. <laughs> yeah, relitigate <laughs> it. No, I, I'm going to bring up my evil jar theory. Oh no, okay. It's actually a warp to the center of the earth where the demon tribe is. Oh, like... Because the monsters come from the earth. Like a... Like a... Oh, what is it that all the mid-tier sci-fi likes to call wormholes? A uh, Rosen-Einstein bridge or something? Yeah. Yeah. So, something like that? Sure. Okay. Sure. Uh, hmm. I reject that, too. Because we see monsters get killed right next to it and go right into it. Uh-huh. Getting zapped. Yeah, and then they go back home. Crystal, in your reading of the canon, is the Ganon from the cartoon the same character as the rest of the series? Yes. So, this Ganon, between Adventure of Link and Legend of Zelda, this irresponsible kinkster, um, Mm -hmm. is the same character as Ganondorf holding the demon trident who gained the evil within his heart to conquer the world. That's him. This is the basically the last living version of the character that we see before the rise of the calamity. Yes, that that would be the last one we see at least. It has been a while since I have accused you of just talking shit on the podcast to get a rise out of folks. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> And by folks, I mean me. It's been a while since I've been shitposted live on the podcast. Okay, that's quite the accusation. Uh Uh-huh. We, okay, we have very little to characterize Ganon as portrayed in The Legend of Zelda. That is one of the genesises of this version of the character, yeah. (laughs) Who is to say 
that he could not be the same one. Obviously, his personality has changed quite a bit from A Link to the Past and from Four Swords Adventures. Right. That was a very long time ago. Ganon fused with Vati and now wants to kiss maidens. Oh, God. Yeah, that's right. He does have that, like, creepy uh, sexual assault adjacent thing with Zelda that takes place right next to his bed, right? Uh Uh-huh. Right. And the only way we can read that is that Ganon is also part of the weird kinkster game. Uh Uh-huh. Crystal, we had to bend over so far backwards to make that show at all palatable. Wait, you're telling me that Slee's nose is canon to The Legend of Zelda? <laughs> How do you remember that name? It's a... Oh, boy. It's a hell of a name. I know it's a doozy of a name. You know, maybe you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I don't... I don't need you to agree, Crystal. I just need for that space for doubt to exist. Like, just for us to be able to question it together. The possibility that it's not real. That space needs to exist. Next question. Jason writes in, I would love to hear wild speculation about who or what Mudora is. The wilder, the better. I remember it being described as a book of lore by the player's guide. I bet a Picori in the far future wrote it and went back in time. Or Hyrule Time is a loop. Okay, so for the benefit of our listeners, um, what Jason is referring to here is the assumed author of the Book of Medora, which is a book that you can obtain in The Link to the Past that acts as a translation guide allowing Link to read ancient Hylian language. Let's let's do our hot takes. Let's take a minute. Oh, uh, what... What do we need to take a minute for? Do you ha- immediately have a hot take? Okay, wild speculation. No, I don't. Um, okay, give me a minute. I once knew the etymology of Mudora, but I forgot it, so I'm trying to find it again. Oh. It does mean something. It's a Yu-Gi-Oh card. What? I I beg your pardon. There's a Yu-Gi-Oh card, card called Medora. It's a fairy-type monster. What's it do? Uh, this card grant gains 200 attack for each fairy-type monster in your graveyard. It's pretty good. Oh, cool. If you're building a fairy deck. It's a good late-game piece, I guess. I don't know how the rules of progression in Yu-Gi-Oh! work. Um, I guess, for wild speculation, if I were going to guess, the Book of Medora is actually... Okay, there's two possible answers for me. One... At the same time that he was using his big manly arms to build the Temple of Time, Raru wrote down a translation guide for the ancient Hylian language and bound it in a green book, and that's the Book of Medora. I don't know why it's called the Book of Medora. Maybe Medora means language in ancient Oh, that ancient was what Hylian. I was going to say. Medora actually means the language. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. The did other- you have to bring Raru into this? Yes, I did. The other one is that um, Ganon did it. And what's happened here is that Link has come across a a relic of the eventual weird sex thing that Adventures with Ganon would become. What? Yeah. I see here that Mudola with an L is a surname most prevalent in Kenya. I think that's probably unrelated. Yes, absolutely. But maybe not. Are you... Are you suggesting that the Book of Medora was written on our version of Earth? Sure. That, all right. 
That that would be wild. The ancient language is I don't know what language is spoken in or written in. There's Kenya. actually a bunch. Uh, Crystal, what's your wild speculation? How do you feel about the relationship between Mudora and Majora? See, I thought that one of us would end up going for this. Go, go on. Well, they sound kind of similar. They both they, start with M and end in Ra. That's true. Uh, that's about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this was written by the same person who crafted Majora's mask. No, no, by his brother. Oh, his brother, Medora. One was a bookbinder, the other one was a mask maker. Very hands-on craftsy people. I got nothing. <laughs> Jesus God. Uh. Emails? I cannot find the etymology of Medora. It appears to be a gibberish word. It's, it's just pure made up, as far as we can tell? Mm-hmm. There, there are words that kind of sound like it, like the Greek Medea, but not no strong relation. Yeah. All right. Huh. The Zelda Fanon Wiki has Medora as the world that Hyrule and other nations are a part of. As in the equivalent of Earth. Mm-hmm. So it's the world book. Oh, like an encyclopedia. Book of the world. It blew my mind when I saw Transformers 2... Uh, Rise of the Fallen, and one of the Transformers is like, Earth, what a dumb name for a planet. You might as well call it Dirt. And I was like, whoa, he's right. But nowadays you think that calling planets anything that doesn't mean dirt is kind of silly. <laughs> I, you know, you can, like, uh, the what's the Rannoch in Mass Effect means, like, Walled Garden. That's, that's a nice name. Mm. That would be sort of strange to name your planet, though, like... It, it sort of implies that they conceived of the outside. Well, I mean, pretty hum- much immediately. humanity conceived of the outside long, long ago. I guess. Ancientfaces.com says there was an Andrea Medora born 1909 in New York. So I guess it's people's names. Just people's names. Yeah, I'm going to say it's Raru's brother. Yeah, Raru <laughs> did it. Oh, Raru also made Majora's mask while we're at it. Yeah, Rauru was a, was a happy mask tribeman. Where did we decide that uh, Link Between Worlds goes on the timeline? Like, did we decide that it's actually after Twilight Princess? That's what we decided, yes. <laughs> okay, we may have to relitigate that on the pre, or rather on the penultimate episode of this podcast. I'm ready you know, to stand by that. You know, Rauru being the happy mask tribesman explains why Gabora is in Termina. Gabora, Gabora. Oh, yeah. Yeah. More than a little. Emails. 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 Who wants to start? I don't know who wants to start. <laughs> Nobody wants to. I can, I can do it. Cameron okay. wants yeah. to start. Wh- which one am I reading, Crystal? Whichever one you want. Okay, the first email that we're going to uh, go through is from Justin. And Justin writes... I'm currently listening to episode 14, and there is something I noticed at this point no one has mentioned. Uh, The subject line here is Twilight Princess Observation, so I assume that episode 14 is one of the Twilight Princess episodes. Holy shit, how are we 60 episodes in and we're only just now finishing the series? The Hyrule of Twilight Princess is a Hyrule of peace. There has not been a war in centuries. You could deduce from this a few things. Or rather, you could deduce this from a few things. Sorry, I got it backwards in my brain meat. 
There are tons of people, especially in Castletown. The army seems to be ineffective, or at least minimal, from years of living a cushy life. Each society seems to be very happy and isolated or self-sufficient. There is way too much money, and games and hobbies for a land at war. There doesn't seem to be a need for a king to command armies. This helps explain Minda's disdain for Zelda. Minda is a princess of war, while Zelda lives in the land of milk and honey. It's not until we, as the players, start the game that bad things really start to happen. The fused shadow MacGuffin hunt is really just the first day or week as this peaceful Hyrule is invaded and unprepared and unaware. I can agree with that. No. No? Absolutely. I do agree with the conclusion that Hyrule probably hasn't seen a major conflict since the war to to seal up Ganon. Yeah. But yes. I don't think all of these things are really evidence for that. Yeah. Um, well, a couple of them I think you could say probably are, like the state of the Castle Guard. Uh-huh. Well, the Castle Guard sucked in Ocarina too, and there's a war not a decade before that. Did they suck, though? All we saw was... Okay, yeah, a 10-year-old did manage to get past them and write to the crown princess. <laughs> he was very good at sneaking. He's very good, though. Um, the thing that jumps out at me is here is that Midna is not a princess of war. She was deposed, but the, oh, twi- of the Twilight Realm knew an era of peace for, on our timeline, literally thousands of years. Like, there was Breath of the Wild-scale eras of peace going on here. Right, my agreement was with the former part of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin is absolutely right that the Hyrule of Twilight Princess is a peaceful land full of mostly peaceful people. I just don't know that it's a good way to describe Midna's disdain for Zelda. Um, I, I think we get into Midna and how she sees Zelda throughout the series, like or, or throughout those episodes, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, we end up talking about how Midna has experienced hardship and that she assumes Zelda hasn't, but Zelda totally has, and they managed to convey this in, like, no lines of dialogue. It's it's also largely her blaming herself. Yeah, it's an... For the plight of her kingdom. It's an externalization of the shit that she's feeling with regards to her, which is good. That's good shit. It's good writing. I like it. I do like all of these contextual clues hinting to... Hyrule being in a fairly peaceful state. Yes. So thank you, Justin. Yeah, thanks, Justin. You know... Yeah? People say shit like, America is at peace. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. Who the fuck? Haven't we... Haven't you guys been at war for... We've been perpetually at war since um, at least the turn of the century. Like seven different wars. Yeah. Who, Who said we were at peace? Like the Washington Post op-ed section. That's a bit much there, Washington Post op-ed section. Somebody needs to take a shit on your editor's desk. It's opinion. Yeah, so is this dookie. You should say it's a bad opinion. It's a shitty opinion. God, okay. I'm sorry, I interrupted, Crystal. Were you going somewhere else with that? No, it's just that... Lands at wars can definitely still have money and games and hobbies. And oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there's all t- sorts of fun consumer distraction shit going on, so long as the war doesn't impugn too much on the lives of the proletariat. Ah, war is a function of capitalism. That's real interesting. 
You know, every once in a while, I'll retweet some vaguely leftist stuff, and I'll lose a couple of followers over it. I think that some of my new followers from that Ganondorf thread might be under the impression that I'm somebody I'm not, which is always interesting. I you love and- when I lose followers. I wish I had fewer. Oh, yeah? Why is that? I desperately do not want to become an internet personality. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like me. Wait, you have a Patreon. Yeah. You're on three different podcasts. Mm-hmm. You do excellent plugging for them. Uh-huh. I'd like to have a a uh, a, a, a small... Fan base is not even the right... I just want people to listen to my shit. I don't want people to be fans of me, if you know what I mean. Oh, yes. I do get that. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. It's It's fun to have people really like your work without treating you in a weird way. Yeah. It's like, hey, Crystal, I listened to that episode. It was really good. Oh, thank you, listener. That's super cool. Right. But you don't want to get stopped in the street. No. (laughs) (laughs) Or have weirdos in your DMs. Okay, Crystal, I'll take some of your followers. You can just give them to me. Yeah, you can take them. I'll treat them right. (laughs) Uh, Mike writes in, Hi, I just wanted to say I'm really enjoying the Breath of the Wild deep dive y'all are doing. I found the podcast via the plug in the Twitter thread about Ganondorf. So yes, yeah. Monica was right. And please always promote your thing when you're getting traction on a slightly related thing. Woo, woo. Just finished the Gerudo app, so I guess I'm caught up and can't wait for the rest. Ah, oh, thank you, Mike. Uh, lesson learned. <laughs> Not just for the email, but the validation. Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, important object lesson in how to leverage the small amount of internet notoriety that some of us come across sometimes. I told you to do it around like the thousand tweet point, right? Retweet point. Probably. I did it right around then, or maybe a little Ooh, later. A bit later. Uh, yeah, Ganondorf. Well, Mike's right, and I will remember Mike's advice for the rest of time. And it will always be in my mind because, Mike, you were truly the first person to tell me this. Hey. And I will not forget it. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) This email is from Sophie, eighth heroine, Breath of the Wild. Hey, Cameron, Crystal, and Monica. I really like the theories y'all discussed regarding the eighth heroine in the Grudo Desert area. Cameron's theory in particular about a Grudo hero accompanying the seven stages of that era resonated with me, and I feel like it makes a whole lot of sense. As for why she was wiped away from history, I don't think the Grudos were the cause for that. I think if there was truly an iteration of the hero who was both a woman and a Grudo, it wasn't something Hyrule liked very much at all. Hylians have high ideals for themselves that involves Hylians being the chosen people, the ones who have long ears to hear the voices of the gods. They also have traditions, including the preservation of Hylia's matrilineal bloodline and seeking out a hero in green. I think there was probably an era where they searched for that hero and he never appeared, but a hero did appear within the Grudo desert. The Grudo obviously worshipped her, but as a time of peace followed, Hylians, the king, tried their best to erase that detail from history. Also, extra tidbit. In the past, the Grudos did go out into the town, find a man, and have a child that they would raise among their people. As you mentioned, that tradition seems to be quite different in Breath of the Wild. Why? I'm thinking this Grudo hero fell in love with the Hylian someone along their journey. And because she was so widely respected after her death, the Grudo changed their outlook on their mating practices. Perhaps this idealistic fall in love with the Hylian became almost like a fairy tale among the Grudo, 
which is why they got a little out of control and decided that would be the path everyone should aspire to. Thanks, y'all. Keep up the great work. P.S. If you do another lore podcast after this, I'd really love to hear you guys take a deep dive into the Earthbound slash Mother series. Ooh. Sophie. Thank you, Sophie. Uh, yeah. Huh. What do you make of this, Crystal? I like in stories whenever it's like, oh, this hero was of the dominant social group, but then the heroes do some archaeology and discover, no, actually, this hero was of an oppressed people and was changed by the history books. That is fun. And and there is actually something, I suppose, that could support this because we discussed how the statue... It would be very hard to move that statue. It sure would. It probably required Sheikah technology. Sure. Oh, yeah. That's the only sort of technology we know that could have moved it. Assuming that it wasn't constructed there. But the sword did break off. The sword did break off, and also it's obviously an octagon over there. But then also, there is one other thing that did take place that could have resulted in these huge cataclysms, and that's the Calamity. You're saying the Calamity moved it? Could have. Oh, I guess so. Maybe the Calamity had something against the eighth heroine. That could work. It could work even if it was just that she was the hero. Yeah. That was when the Calamity incarnated Zuckeru, though. Yeah. I I do like Sophie's idea that there's just like this weird patriarchal bullshit and that there's some kind of uh, cultural interference going on on the part of the Hylians. Yes, me too. It is, it is a very cogent idea, and you can imagine if there were old kings like Rome, then they probably would have done something like that. But at the same time, I feel like the Gerudo are a relatively powerful, independent state, relatively they, speaking. They probably wouldn't have let that go, no. or forgotten it to that degree that she seems to have been forgotten. Yeah, but at we don't know. To the- grander population but we don't know anything about the group that still worship the eighth heroine either right. as of breath of the wild the gerudo are arguably the most powerful state in hyrule yeah mm-hmm. i think the only ones who would come close are the zora and they're too limited in how they can move throughout the country let's wheel this back a little bit chris were you saying that the eighth heroine might have been the the form that ganon took of a gerudo at no, one I'm just point. saying everyone was a Gerudo at that time. The sages were Gerudo, the hero was a Gerudo, and Ganon was a Gerudo. That's also a funny perspective. It was just a Gerudo time. Is Gerudo age. Yeah, it was the age when that's how it happened. I also like Sophie's read on this because it's a direct subversion of one of the ideas that uh, I can't remember which one of us did, but one of us put forth where it's how the Gerudo read a more uh, diverse band of sages is the seven heroines but sophie's inversion here where the hylians are the ones who try to rewrite history where it's like yeah this time it was just all the ladies showing up and whooping ass and that's a that's a good reading too i yeah, the hylians I, aren't exactly known for being uh accurate historians no actually the gerudo archaeologist is the only character who seems really uh intent and studious in terms of how she approaches history of all the characters throughout the game who try to figure out how the past works. Yeah, I trust her over the Hillians. Yeah, like those guys who are trying to figure out how the Leviathans died. Like Bozai. Like Bozai. But all of this ties into each other really in a fun way, I think. 
It's one of the things I like so much about the Gerudo Desert in Breath of the Wild and why it's such a roller coaster for me. I just really, that's fun, you know? It's fun coming up with these theories to explain these things, and they'll never tell us, but I hope they never do. They shouldn't, the bastards. I wouldn't mind it. Yeah? People are always like, they should they should keep things a mystery. You don't have to explain everything. And I'm like, no, you just gotta explain it good. Yeah, but you like the midichlorians. That's true, I do like, well, I don't think the midichlorians were particularly well integrated into the prequels, but I would be interested <laughs> in seeing George Lucas's episode 9 about the microbial world. The... The even deeper than the midichlorians things that allow the midichlorians to interface with the force or yeah, produce like the force. He want he wanted themes about how like you know the the force is not something to be conquered. You you exist as part of an ecology and you exist in harmony with the force and the beings what allow you to access the force. Uh huh. But do you like things like the writers and directors of? Endgame coming out and going, here's how it is. No, they should have done a better job of communicating <laughs> that in the movie. Here's how it is, and we're going to have conflicting opinions on how it is. We're going to disagree with the writers on how to works. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to bleep that one. But yeah, that's a that's a really egregious example. Everyone in the world has seen Endgame, but by now, so maybe I won't bleep that one. Uh, you know, use your best judgment. We yeah. can be safe. An Earthbound series is something that would be a lot of fun for Cameron. I Cameron, like Earthbound. Cameron would go buck wild with the Earthbound. The only problem is that these lore podcasts, to get really in, it requires that everybody on the podcast be more or less like along for the ride and enthusiastic about it which is one of the reasons we can't do a metroid podcast either we Book could of do aurora a souls podcast oh a vati video podcast a vati, vati show vati how it's done show vati how it's that's done. not true i love vati vati makes good stuff vati Thank does you, make vati. good stuff like vati video is actually one of the inspirations behind book of Medora originally for me anyway but yeah, I, 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 that a, a Souls one would be fun. An Earthbound one would be fun. We are definitely going to have to take a little bit of a break once Book of Medora is finished, though. Mm-hmm. For sure. But when we return to it, we'll figure out some ways to let y'all know. Uh, we don't have a newsletter, so be sure to follow me at Cam Ryder on Twitter and Crystal at Arcane Crystal if you want news regarding our podcast <laughs> shenanigans. Lore discussion of Mario. No. <laughs> no and how dare you that would be really interesting actually shit no never i think mario it, i've talked about this before that zelda threads the needle really well of a balance between concrete uh information and blanks to fill in right that mm, uh, there's not a lot of stuff out there that has the, those things in as well of a balance yeah yeah, Dark Souls is one of the things that I, I say would. That's fair. Earthbound probably could too, if, but it would be... Uh, it leans a little bit too hard in one direction in comparison to Zelda. Zelda's really perfect for this kind of lore dive. It's the same guy again. You can cut that out. I w- Shazam. <laughs> did you see Shazam? You Shazam, did Shazam is the best superhero movie that has come out this year. That good? 
It's well, pretty good. Well, what other superhero movies have come out this year? Captain <laughs> Marvel. Oh, uh, yeah. Avengers Endgame. Yep, true. Those those are the ones I've seen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I could see, I could see that then. Yeah, that would. Yeah, cool. I'm I'm really glad to hear that Shazam is good, because I love that character. My favorite iterations of Shazam are uh, this is going to sound silly. The one from Kingdom Come, mm-hmm. and the one from Justice League near the end of the series before it became Justice League Unlimited, where Captain Marvel gets in a fist fight with Superman trying to protect a city for orphans. Well, that was really awkward. Yeah, but it was great. But what about um, Young Justice? He's also very good in Young Justice. That that was such a good reveal. Yeah. <laughs> Should we watch Shazam, Crystal? I would highly recommend that you watch Shazam. Okay. Do you care for the New 52 interpretation of Shazam? I'm not familiar. It's a pretty close adaptation of that. Okay. Well, that's cool, then. Yeah, maybe I'll look into that. Who are we reading next, Crystal? It's your turn to read. Oh, is it? Uh, is it? I don't know. Who read the last one? It was me. Who read the one before that? <laughs> what was it? You? You, you, you did, Crystal. I think. Or did, have you not read one? I've I've read at least one. <laughs> Let's okay, go back I'll read the time. next one. Benjamin writes in. If Nintendo ever decided to give the treatment of religion in Zelda a more real world feel, it would be interesting for them to do it this way. Hillians. Worship of three Triforce goddesses, Din, Nehru, and Ferori, as well as a fourth goddess who sacrificed her divinity to become living flesh and walk among her people. Not dissimilar to how Christianity treats Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Oh boy. Gerudo. Worship the three Triforce goddesses, Din, Nehru, and Ferori, but reject the notion of Hylia's divinity. Instead, prefer to think of her as a messenger or prophet of the goddesses, who is strictly mortal. This is similar to Islam's view of Jesus of Nazareth, a major prophet of Allah. The goddess of the sand could be seen as their great prophet, like Islam's Muhammad. Sheikah. Worship Hylia as the one true goddess and think of the three Triforce goddesses as aspects or avatars of Hylia. Din represents the creator, Nehru the preserver, and Ferori the destroyer, who renews the cycle and allows creation to be reborn anew. Similar to how Hindus relate to Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. This would explain the fierce devotion the Sheikah have to Hylia and to the royal family. I think the games clearly treat the other races, Zora, Goron, and Rito, as tribal peoples with indigenous regional gods who are absorbed into the cult of the Triforce as lesser deities or divine hosts once the kingdom of Hyrule unifies the peoples of the continents. What do you think of this take? Would it make for more interesting conflict in the games or explain the interactions of these peoples? Well, Ben, thank you for the question. Um... What's your take, Crystal? I like that The Legend of Zelda has a very Japanese view on religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hylia is Amaterasu? Yeah, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't... I think that one of the most interesting things about how we move through the series, and this is kind of built on Breath of the Wild, is seeing how differently people throughout the series relate to their faith. There was a pretty long period, uh, pretty much the Aonima period that Crystal referred to earlier, where it wasn't very clear how the peoples of Hyrule related to their gods. But that's changed over time, and the way that people relate to their gods has changed enormously. Um, In Skyward Sword, 
the whole thing is about one goddess reincarnating and running around. And Breath of the Wild, we see that the Zora are very devout in their work, devout, sorry, devoted in their devoutness for their worship of Hylia. And the Gerudo are in the process of rejecting Hylia in favor of reclaiming their worship of the seven heroines. And I really like this treatment of the world as being a deeply fictional place that's still rooted in a Japanese perspective on religiosity and religious history. I would not want it to mirror any particular uh, real-world culture. Yeah, I don't think that making it more Abrahamic makes it more real. No. At least two-thirds Abrahamic no, no, by no. this reading. It just makes it more Western. Yeah. But... You know, Nintendo doesn't really treat... The religion in the series is whatever works out for the plot of that game. And that's okay. I don't know about framing uh, the Zora Gorons and Rito as being um, tribal peoples with indigenous regional gods who are folded into the understanding of religion of uh, conquerors. Not only because that doesn't really describe how they move through the setting, but also because that presents a narrative that isn't very true to a lot of indigenous culture and how it's treated by the forces of colonialism. We sort of see Jabu Jabu on par with the Deku tree. Sort of? Yeah, more or less. They both get murdered. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> well, they're, they're they're both nature gods. They're... True. Like... Th- th- they're deities of a similar level. I, I'm just saying, like, I don't know if I would have framed it that way. I I think I like wrapping them up into larger spirits of good. Yeah, I, I, our reading of the <laughs> setting is clearly the best one. <laughs> bold, bold. Yeah, the, I don't know that Hyrule folds them into the cult of the Triforce. Or even really considers, well... They do kind of consider them lesser deities, but they they still they still recognize and respect like the Deku tree. Nobody actually worships Din, Nehru, and Faror in Ocarina of Time. No. That's no. not they, a thing. They call upon their power. Even then it's just the sages who do that. And it's right. all part of a secret story kept hidden by the royal family. Like, it's not clear if the average person actually has any idea that there are creator gods, so to speak. All of their worship might go towards these nature deities. Which would be fine! Also, I... It, that it happens in reality, I don't want to see, like, a Zelda game hinge on the interpretation of the significance of a historical figure. No. Also, we're still not sure as a podcast whether or not Din, Nehru, and Faror, as described by the Deku Tree, are actually real. I hold on to them being the gods of the gods. That they are worshipped and believed in without concrete proof? Mm-hmm. They're the gods that the gods worship. Ah. Uh, and that's funny because it means that the gods worship less concretely than mortals do, because you can see Jabu Jabu. And Haile is right there. Hylius is walking around, though that's a secret. Well, maybe gods see things a little differently than mortals do. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, this next one uh, comes in. Hi, my name is Tim. 
I just started listening to your podcast and I just got through the Wind Waker episodes. I have a theory that the Master Sword actually created the original barrier around Hyrule to protect itself. The sword has the ability to counteract the Triforce, which is the power of the goddess. That is also why the power was drained from it and why the sages need to be awoken. Then, when you seal Ganondorf away, the power of the Master Sword can no longer counter the Triforce's power. I love the show. I can't wait to get into future episodes. Oh, thank you, Tim. That's very kind. You know, that's a. I think that's a pretty cogent reading of how the barrier could work. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good theory. It does. I do like that. <laughs> Go ahead. I do like the idea that the once the Master Sword has sealed away Ganon, it can no longer counter the Triforce's power, and really, it no longer needs to because the Triforce is no longer going to be relevant to anyone in the world until Ganon from another timeline makes a big wish. Mm-hmm. It does tie up uh, neatly into the idea of why the Master Sword loses its luster, because our idea that Ganon puts his power toward it to break through the barrier, or just because he hates the Master Sword. Actually, did we ever figure out why we thought the Master Sword dulled? Um, Am I going to have to re-listen to that episode? I think we discussed a few theories. Right. I guess we didn't hit on Tim's idea, though. That's a pretty cogent idea. Yeah, there you got, Tim. That's pretty good. I, I think it's because we got caught up with thinking Ganon did it. It made sense. It's But it's interesting because the barrier, it doesn't do Link harm. No. It's a very mild-looking barrier, whereas you would expect anything Ganon, uh, Ganon made to be like... Shut up! Ganon did it! Purpley glowy. <laughs> Ganon holds back the ocean. You would love that. Yeah, that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I'm not... Like, we can come back. What do you expect? Me to go like, oh, she figured out that I'm just doing this because I like it. No. No, I'm I'm here. That's what I'm here for. Okay. Anyway, thank you, Tim. Thank you. This next email is from Cordelia. Hi. I have something of a potential theory I've been thinking on, but I don't have a full enough knowledge of the games it applies to to be sure I even like it. So I'm hoping you can all work it into something tangible. Or at least confirm for me that it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Yeah, we'll try. We, we like doing that. Specifically, in all the games where you can enter your own name and play as a character that isn't necessarily Link, example, Wind Waker, perhaps the character you play isn't Link, but that you, the player, are directly interacting in this world and living up to the legend of Link. I'm essentially basing this idea on Cameron's theory that not every Link is directly connected, but that they're all people who have risen to the worthiness of the Triforce of Courage. Taking it one step further to say that, for example, if you enter your name as Jordan, then it is literally Jordan, either as an avatar or some other direct connection to the world of Hyrule, that is going through the trials and facing the evils within. I don't know what this would mean for the timeline, but I love the idea of the universe sort of breaking the fourth wall in this way, and having a coexistence with our universe. Thanks for your time and for making my favorite podcast. Aww. Oh, that's so kind. That's very kind. Oh, we've got a joke, too. Nope. I'm clicking away from it so you can't read it. I am unspoiled. Have you two kept up on the most recent uh, presentations about Death Stranding? No. No. Uh, Well, you see, in Death Stranding, uh, Norman Reedus plays the main character. Yes. But you do not embody the main character. You embody Norman Reedus, who then acts out the main character. What? Is how Hideo (laughs) Kojima explained it. You're okay. not you're not playing Sam the protagonist. 
you're playing Norman Reedus, and Norman Reedus is playing Sam. Okay, is this Kojima's way of saying <laughs> that Norman Reedus' involvement in the production and the motion capture for this character is so uh, dense that the way you interact with the game is more like you're interacting with the actor than the character itself? Yes, that's why when Norman Reedus got a new tattoo, they redid all the mocap to incorporate his new tattoo. Fuck off! <laughs> and when asked if what would happen if Norman Reedus got more tattoos after the game was released, he said they would they would do more mocap and sell it as DLC. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's a. So so where are we going with this, Crystal? Yeah, that's kind of like how Link works. It's also kind of like Omicron, the Nomad Soul. Do not. <laughs> where, you, the, where at the beginning of the game, a character goes to you and is like, I, "You, the I player." Help. Yes, you, the player, and I need your help in Omicron. You are the Nomad Soul, uh, and I need you to embody people to save Omicron. Is it David Bowie? No. No, what do you? No, that's it's the it's the police character that you initially played. I did not watch that let's play into any detail. Well, it was it was a good let's play. Those poor people acted like they were dying because they were. Um, it's also like how in Assassin's Creed, <laughs> you're not actually playing as Ezio. You're playing as Desmond, and Desmond is playing as Ezio. That's yeah, okay. That yeah, that's uh, that's actually yeah, that's a good. I feel comparison. like it'd be a great Book of Medora thing to have, like to take a shot every time we we do Assassin's Creed. No, because you... it's about like once or twice per podcast. Okay, like, you, you, you just get you get a nice little nice head going. Little buzz. Yeah, have a drink. Have a drink. <laughs> it's time can. for it's just time to have a beer. Um, I wanted to take it back a little bit further. Um, to the original <laughs> Legend of Zelda, where I think it's Miyamoto who has said that the character's name is Link specifically because, and this is a retcon of the original version of it, that it's a link between the future and the past or whatever the fuck. But the current understanding on Miyamoto's part is that Link is named Link because he's supposed to be the link between the player and the world, the medium through which we enact, and that we Link embodies us. Mm -hmm. So when I name link cameron which is a thing that i did in every game where i could name link um it's supposed to be me as this hylian kid running around hyrule yes that's exactly in keeping with cordelia's reading now which games can you not name link other than breath of the wild uh triforce heroes because it's not link okay do you but you you can save your profile um as a name can you? Maybe. Probably. What about Four Swords Adventures? I'm pretty sure you could save that too. You think? I think Breath of the Wild may be the only one. So all of the other ones are people who want to embody They're Breath us. of the Wild Link. It's me. Embodying Breath of the Wild Link. Sure. So Breath of the Wild is at the start of this timeline. Wait, what? What the fuck are you what? saying it's now? It's not Cordelia's email. All of the people, the character you play isn't Link, but you the player... Living up to the legend of Link. And the legend of Link, because it occurs before... No. <laughs> what Cordelia is saying is she's relating to this idea that, like, she's 
equating it with my theory that the spirit of the hero is forged, not born. Uh huh. But so, I think one step further. No, we're not going a step further. <laughs> I like going a step further. Never. We're very conservative on this podcast, no. actually, when it comes to how we relate to text in the game. I guess, Cordelia, you need to send in a, a message to show who's correct. Oh, yeah. Breath of the Wild is at the start of this timeline. Cordelia, I just wanted to let you know that, yeah, you got it basically right. If you were just looking... <laughs> For like us to engage with it on that level, that's something that's in the text of the games, I feel. Everywhere. It's also like the BS Zelda games on the Satella view. Oh yeah? Where you play as yourself, as inhabitants of the town of no name, and then are transported to be the hero in Hyrule. Oh god. Oh, no, I believe it's the town whose name was stolen, or something like that. That's actually pretty cool though. Who stole the name? Ganon, probably. They should re-release Ancient Stone Tablets with the original audio. They should make have it, which they almost certainly do not. Yeah. Well, uh, Nintendo's better than most companies about trying to preserve their shit. We should keep that starred so we don't lose the joke. Oh, yeah. Crystal's turn. Painbow writes in, Hi, Crystal, Monica, and Cam. I just want to start out by saying that your podcast is the first podcast I've ever listened to. Wow. And has got really gotten me excited to listen to more podcasts, especially lore-centered ones. I've always been interested in the lore of Zelda, but I unfortunately missed out on all of the old discussions on various internet forums. I heard about the podcast through a series of tweets from Cam Ryder. I talked <laughs> about Ganondorf from Wind Waker being misunderstood as the kindest Ganondorf, when in reality he would probably be the most evil version. I was intrigued by this and decided to listen to the podcast to see how you came to that conclusion. I started listening about two weeks ago and just finished the final Spirit Tracks episode. I didn't watch the Oracle episodes because I haven't played those quite yet, and I'm really excited to finally catch up. I guess I just popped up suddenly in this listening then. <laughs> yeah. As for my question, do you all plan to do an episode discussing the Accursed Timeline? I get snippets of it here and there, but I'd really like to get an entire breakdown of it. I always assumed the Hyrule Historia was canon, and that was the official timeline. But for hearing you all discuss the various discrepancies in the official timeline, I'm really curious about the Accursed timeline. From what I've gathered, the timeline splits at Skyward Sword, one where Demise places his curse and one where he does not. Is that accurate? How come he places a curse in one and not the other? I think it's because in one, he is defeated by the Master Sword, and in the other, he is defeated by the Triforce. But I'm not quite sure I have that right. Is there any chance you can elaborate or link me to somewhere it is elaborated on? Again, I want to thank you for getting me back into the Zelda lore after all of these years. I'm currently replaying Spirit Tracks, and I forgot how much of a gem this game really was. I look forward to catching up and writing more and more questions for you all. Bonus question. Who was the first bully character introduced in the series? First is in release date, not in canon chronologically. I vaguely remember from an early podcast that you all said Mido. But I think it is the character in Link to the Past that kicks around the ball character in the Dark World. Is Ooh. there anyone else I may be forgetting? Wow. Thank uh, you for the email. Yeah. Yeah, it's always cool to discover how these things all interrelate together. And that it got you to play Spirit Tracks as the real shit. That's good. I love that. Twitter tagging. It works. Now, um, to address the first part of this... Um, 
Painbow has undoubtedly already reached the Skyward Sword episodes where we talk about the Accursed Timeline a good deal more than in any of the previous episodes. But we are also going to have two episodes devoted specifically to the Timeline not long after this episode, uh, the one that we're recording now. One episode will be devoted to ironing out the specific details of some game placements, and then the last episode will be laying out the entire timeline. And when we put that out, are we still going to try to make a PDF to go along uh-huh. with it? Okay, Monica will be making a PDF of the timeline, um, and I'll also be making a Twitter thread about the Accursed Timeline. Yay. So we'll have it out there where people can look at it if they're curious about it. But to recap the basic premise of the Accursed Timeline, at at the end of Skyward Sword, in the timeline that you've been playing the whole game in, Link gets the Triforce and wishes for Demise to be extremely dead. Yeah. But then Girahim steals Zelda and goes back in time to right after Demise was initially imprisoned. And Link goes back in time after him and beats Girahim, but Demise is still released and then is killed by Link with the Master Sword. And that is where he places the curse in the past timeline. We call it the Accursed Timeline, sort of as a joke uh, about how all timeline discussion is kind of cursed. (laughs) But you could also think of it as the Imprisoned Timeline and the Demise Timeline, because those are the two shapes that he was in when he was killed. And the Imprisoned couldn't place no curse. But I do like the idea of being defeated by the Master Sword in one and being defeated in the Triforce in the other. That's not really the main mechanism by which the why he places a curse in one and not the other, but the Triforce will kill him pretty well and dead, whereas the Master Sword will kill him mostly dead. It'll it'll give him it'll kill him just as good eventually, but Demise has a couple of minutes to get his curse out. Yes. Whereas if Link had brought the Triforce back in time with him As and, he really should have. and wished on it to kill Demise, Demise probably would have been smashed underneath another mountain. <laughs> the literal, the very literal interpreting Triforce. Yeah. So that, that's the, uh, that, that Crystal has summarized the basis of the idea behind the Accursed Timeline. Mm-hmm. The, the timeline where Demise is killed in his own shape is our replacement for what the Hyrule Historia refers to as the downfall timeline. That is because we find this timeline split to be more satisfying than what if Link died. Yeah, not just more satisfying, but also more consistent. Which, I like blowing smoke up my own ass, but, you know, <laughs> I think it fits. Who, who was who was the first bully character? Definitely the character in Link to the Past kicking the ball is sort of a bully character right does the ball want to be kicked he doesn't care he's a ball he's fine really you can talk to the ball though what's he doesn't mind okay but i mean like i think that when we were talking about bully characters we were talking about characters that would bully the player oh mm -hmm. like groose like groose yes though now that i think of it mito's not actually the first of those yeah I think that the first of those is some of the people who hide out in caves or secret grottos in the original Legend of Zelda, and when you show up, they just take your money. 
Like, hey, fix my wall, and they take 50 rupees. Was that in the Oracle games, or was that in the first game? It's in the first game. Oh, wow. There, there were people who would just take your money if you bombed the wrong wall. What a bully. I don't feel like that's bullying. You broke their wall. <laughs> How about the people who are, like, ready to play money game, and then they just take your money? That's a, okay, Can that's you win? bullying. Yeah. Can you win those money games? There's at least one where you can't really win, I think. Wow. So I would say that there's some asshole in the first Legend of Zelda who counts as the original bully. What about the guy who's like, buy something, will ya? <laughs> Bullies link into purchases. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's coercive salesman. I probably just had a bad day. I mean, it's fine. I respect retail workers, but also I'm just trying to live my life over here and not die to Ganon's monsters. What about the first old man who insists that you take a sword? I don't think that's bullying. I, I think that's probably like, he's really telling you what would be better for you if you intend to step outside again. I don't think being insistent with someone uh, qualifies in and of itself as bullying. Yeah. It's it's an element of bullying, but you gotta have, like, negative intent. That old man really did save Link's life, though. Yeah. It was dangerous to go alone. It was. And most of us did take that. Can you play that without the sword? There are people who have definitely completed that game without the sword, though I think it's dependent on glitches. Oh, okay. Because normally you need the sword to make Ganon vulnerable to the silver arrows. So if you can do it without that, I think you have to be glitching. However, the kid from A Link to the Past, who is referred to in Art and Artifacts as Bully, is probably the first unambiguous bully in the series. Yeah, I buy that. Yes. Are there any bullies in Adventure of Link? Hmm. I can't think of any. Yeah, I can't either. I am error. <laughs> please get out of my house. This is my house. This is my house. Won't you please get out of my house? Oh, that's an that's an old one. <laughs> Crystal, whose turn is it? It's turn for you to get a watch. Well, <laughs> what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, what time is it? Time for you to watch. Oh, I see. Because turn starts with T and has the same number of syllables as time. Got it. Yes. I'm following. Well, who, who read that? Who read Pain Post? That, that was Crystal, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. That, that's, now it's yours. Okay. Ahem. Hello, Book of Medora. I am currently writing a Dungeons & Dragons campaign set in the Zelda universe. Ooh. It's during the Unification War before Ocarina of Time. The players will be able to participate in events such as delivering the spiritual stones to their respected races to help secure the Door of Time, sink the Temple of Water below Lake Hylia, learn Hyrule's bloody history of greed and hatred in the Shadow Temple, fight Bongo Bongo when he still had his head and hands attached, help unite the kingdoms of Hyrule under one banner, and meet Ganondorf as a young man. Hmm. I always felt like the history surrounding the games would be fu so fun to explore, but because most of the time during those wars events there was no Link available, we the player will not be able to explore them. Here are my questions to you three. 1. What events in the timeline would you like to explore more of? Maybe when the gods... <laughs> Maybe when the gods flooded Hyrule, or follow the interlopers from Twilight Princess, or the development of the Divine Beasts... What other forms of entertainment or media would you like to have explore the lands and stories of Hyrule? 
novels, board games, apps on your smartphone, other video games that don't involve A Link or Zelda. 3. What part of the timeline would you like to visit or even live in? 4. If you were the director of the next Legend of Zelda game, would you like to revisit some of the history of the games already and tie up loose ends? Or would you rather form up an original idea and then try to force it into the already convoluted and confusing timeline? Or pull a Breath of the Wild and just say, well, in another 10,000 years, this is what they're doing. I love the show and how deep into the lore of my favorite game series you dive. When I listen, I feel like I'm a kid again, sitting around with my friends talking theories about video games. Aww. Have a great day. Darth Jader. Well, thank you, Jade. Darth Jader. There's quite a bit to unpack here. Yes. I just want to start by saying that the Unification War was a very popular setting for role-playing. Um, back in 2000 and 2001. Wasn't there a, what what sort of role-playing game was it on the forums that we... Oh, were we're on? not going to talk about that. No? Needless to say, it existed, though. Uh-huh. I, the first thing I'd want to say is, I don't know if the temple of, the water temple was ever sunk. It was probably just there because the Zoras accessed it easily. We're not writing the campaign. Okay. That's not us. <laughs> okay. Uh, that works. Crystal, for question one, what events in the timeline would you like to explore more? I would love to see how the people of Skyloft settled the land of Hyrule. Mm -hmm. Mm. How do you see that being explored? Is that like a 4X game? Mm. I don't think I'd want it to be a 4X game, actually. What's 4X? What is it? It's ex expands, explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. Yes. <laughs> that sounds so violent. It is violent. It's literally describing an entire genre of video games that's strictly about colonialism. Oh, like Civ. Okay, yes, like Civilization. It. Well, there's no getting around Hyrule's colonialism, but I don't know. I'd like to see them, like, rediscover the the old kingdom. Yeah. And make alliances the, with the Kikui at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. The entire background, like Tetra landing in the Old Kingdom in Spirit Tracks would be so fucking dope. I'm going to give the obvious answer of post-Breath of the Wild. Sure. Uh, the Imprisoning War could also be an interesting one. They they tried to make a game out of it, actually. Twice. Twice? Twice. Four Swords Adventures was specifically designed to be the Imprisoning War. And come on, Ocarina of Time was just the Imprisoning War. That's what it was when it was made. Uh-huh. As she is written. But also, I think it's okay not to return to these things. Yes. With regards to the, uh, the second question, what other forms of entertainment or media would you like to have explore the lands and stories of Hyrule? Hmm... A $250 million feature film. Okay. Live action or cartoon? Live action, of course. Of course you would want it oh, to be no, live action. Oh, no, Crystal. I'm not talking about a film for children. No, you want a mature movie for mature audiences. Yeah. That you, a mature gamer, can truly get behind. Capitalism is good because my action figures are getting more diverse. Uh I'd want an animated series, like 13 episodes. I mean, we kind of have something like this in the form of the manga adaptations of the different games, which are very different takes on each of those stories. That's true. But I guess if I... 
I think that it would be fun to have an anthology-style Legend of Zelda animated series where you could have each episode dealing with a completely different set of characters and circumstances that don't have to be related to each other in any way, except that one of the characters in the story is usually Link. Or a Link, if you prefer, but it's a different Link in every single episode. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potentially confusing. Nah, it's fine. When has being confusing ever stopped us? Or stopped The Legend of Zelda? What part of the timeline would y'all like to visit or even live in? Visit or live in? Yeah. Hmm, I guess probably the Golden Age. The Golden Age backstory to Adventure of Link? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. What about you, Monica? It's like the Chronicles of Narnia. Right. Because every time people from Earth visit Narnia, it's in a state of chaos or war or Ganon. Right, Ganon. (laughs) I don't want to be in any of the parts with Ganon. So either the Golden Age. Skyloft sounds nice. Sure, Skyloft seemed like it was nice for thousands of years. Um. The 10,000 years seem pretty good. Yeah, that, the, the, most of those seem pretty nice. Yeah. Hyrule has periods of peace that far, far, far outweigh its periods of strife. It's just that when strife shows up, it shows up for real. Like Narnia. Sure, like, Nar- <laughs> like Narnia. Like C.S. Lewis's Narnia. But yeah, it's difficult to pick a time to live in in Hyrule because if you're there to observe it, Hyrule is like... It's like, if you observe it, something bad is going to show up. That's just how it works. So when I show up, the 10,000 years will undoubtedly end. And the Calamity is going to bust out and it's going to be the greatest war of all time. And I'm going to watch the Zonai go extinct, apparently. (laughs) Is that the time you chose? I didn't choose it. That's just where I ended up. Okay. Turns out, 10,000 years was not literal. It was figurative. I thought it would be fine. It was not. If... Crystal, if you were the director of the next Legend of Zelda game, would you like to revisit some of the history of the games already and tie up loose ends? Or would you rather form an original idea and then force it into the timeline? Or just pull a Breath of the Wild and say, fuck it? I would definitely direct the first game that revisited the history and tied up loose ends. Really? Wow. We've had, uh, what, 19? 19 games, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 19 games that didn't do that. So, okay, I'll Fair. direct the first one. The all 20th. Okay. What would what would your I want to hear about your game. What 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 events would you address? You don't have to answer right now if you need a minute to think about it. It would be in the style of the upcoming Loki anthology series set throughout different periods of Hyrule's history and it would fill in all of the gaps. <laughs> and you'd, you'd play as like you play as Loki, the god of mischief. Oh. Not Link. Loki. No, lo- lo- Loki. Yes, the god of mischief. The lies mythology. Yeah. Uh, okay. God, the Jotun. The god of fire and hunger and lies. The father of... Uh, father the of father Hela, of hell. Father of Hela, Fenrir, and Jormungandr. And Jormungandr. Yeah, is that the eight-legged horse? No, that's Slepnir. Slepnir. <laughs> Father of Slepnir. Mother of Slepnir, actually. Mother of Slepnir, yes, of course. Yeah, it's... Yeah, okay, so we're not doing Marvel's Loki. This is the classical Loki. No, Marvel's Loki is still the father of Hela, but it was the Loki of the previous cycle. Eh? This went somewhere. 
Because the, there's like cycles of Ragnarok and Rebirth. Oh, right. Yeah. Jesus. I forgot about that. Didn't Loki face down those gods who might have been the uh, Eternals or whatever they were called from Infinity and basically talked them into non-existence? I don't know. I don't read comics. Oh. What? Hey! Huh? <laughs> All right. That's fair. I'm Nobody's so reading Wikipedia. Nobody should read superhero comics. It's a fact. Some of them are all right. I really like Ms. Marvel. Black Panther's been great for years. Uh, the run of Thor where Jane Foster was Thor was... Mwah, shit was so good. You like the Fantastic Four? Yeah, there's been a couple of runs on Fantastic Four that are just exemplary. Uh, it might be the best comics that... Uh, oh, shit. What is his name? Hickman? Yeah, Jonathan Hickman. Might be the best comics Hickman ever wrote was his run on Fantastic Four. It's good. There's some good comics. But generally speaking, mothers don't let your children read comic books. What about the standalone ones? What? what? Oh, I'm sorry. Superhero comic books. Okay. Don't do that. Um, If I was the director of the next Legend of Zelda game, I would not revisit some of the histories of the games. No, I would... Totally put it before Skyward Sword for a lark. Okay. What would this look like? <laughs> I have no idea. I was leaned way back before she said that shit, so I had to, like, drive back from fucking Kitchener to get close to the mic just now. <laughs> I want to hear what, like, what happens I don't Sky- know. Okay. But it'll be-, be very surprising and upsetting for people to have another thing placed before the thing that they thought was the first thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Back and back and back. Yeah, that's good. I think mine would just be some weird new bullshit that ignores the rest of the timeline completely. But would you try to make it coherent within the rest of the timeline, or is it just going to really screw up? Oh, I will fuck it up so much. Like, I would put out You're a, worse than mine. I would put out a game that very specifically destroys both the Historia and the Accursed Timelines. You have a problem. I do not have a problem. The only <laughs> that would prob- be my second choice. <laughs> right? The only problem I have is that nobody's letting me direct The Legend of Zelda. You either need to fix the timeline once and for all, or you need to destroy it. And I'm going to obliterate it. I'm going to make it so that the timeline argument as an art form is revived. Oh, the good old days. There's five simultaneous links at one time. Oh, so good. Perfect. Simultaneous. Yeah, I don't care. Okay. But yeah, I, 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 this is why, uh, this is why nobody lets me control things, because <laughs> I would fuck it up. In this podcast, we're just constantly, like, two of the people are holding the third person back. It switches. Yeah. It de- yeah. <laughs> at various intervals. Yeah, that's true. I think Crystal's the one who's the hardest to hold back of the three of us. Really? Yeah. Is it not me? No, it's not. When I get rolling. I don't even think to hold you back when you do that shit. Oh. Ooh. Crystal, did you see the su- the subject line for this uh, email from, uh, from Justin? Yes, those would be Infinity War questions. Infinity War has been out long enough. We don't care about spoilers for that movie at all. Yeah, spoilers for Avengers Infinity War. Will it probably leak into Endgame? No. Okay. No, Justin sent this before 
watching Endgame. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, let's just put up a spoiler warning for Avengers Endgame. We might discuss it in the context of this email. Oh, yeah, we totally might. But we also can analyze Infinity War as a standalone work. Yeah, wink, absolutely. Wink. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also might just bleep some things. This might create editing problems, but would you like to tackle this email, Crystal? Sure. Great. <laughs> it is hours before my viewing of Endgame when I finally decided to listen to your Infinity War episode. And there's plenty I agree with and disagree with in terms of legitimacy for complaints. I feel as if some of it may be stuff unnoticed on your initial viewing and not going back through the series for early leads, but I have some theories. I do agree with the big WTF, Wakanda trash fighting battle being crap. <laughs> what happened to all their technology and resources? T'Challa and his people were all very shortchanged in this movie, and this battle should have played very differently. Thanos is a big stinking liar. Mm-hmm. Gamora was the last of her kind according to her arrest record by Nova in Guardians Volume 1. This leads us to conclude one of two things. Thanos is uninformed, or he is a liar. Clearly, the purge on her homeworld did not lead to full bellies as he claimed, since they have all died out. He either knew this and chose to lie to deceive his daughter, or he does not follow up on his management style to see if his tactics work. This could lead to some questions about his relationship with her. It is also clear he values and cares for her when she said she always hated that throne. He intentionally sits on the steps to make her uncomfortable. Did he really care and sympathize for her, or was he playing her emotions? Maybe he manipulates one daughter through physical torture and another through mental torture. I doubt they will go there. That is what your podcast is for. Rocket with the eye. I think this scene isn't supposed to reset Thor to P-Ragnarok, to pre-Ragnarok. I see it more as a show of Rocket. He has like the old man that always has batteries in his bag when you need them, except his batteries are more interesting or deadly. This establishes him as the utility belt of the team, which he was in the Guardians. But as we know by now, they won't be much in Endgame. Doc Strange and Tony Stark were the rival rich kids in grade school. Friday may have cut out because she was using satellites. My basic understanding is that most satellites bounce back to Earth and rarely project outwards, though he is smart and rich enough to have not done that. Groot is not the same Groot as Groot. He is a whole different Groot. My predictions. A lot of the characters do seem and are written a little childish, and I think that is because they need to have the growth moments Stark, Rogers, and Thor have had in a compressed time, because those three are going to go bye-bye after Endgame. Let's see how this ages. Thank you for reading. Justin, this is very bold to... Send to us. (laughs) No, and also pre-Endgame. So you are shooting your theories, you know. Right out where people can hear them. Every person listening to this podcast right now knows whether or not uh, certain predictions that you had would follow through. The arrest record thing that says Gamora's a last of her kinds seems to have just been straight retcons. Because you think she'd bring it up. Yeah, at some point. That'd be that'd be a pretty good repudiation of his philosophy. Maybe she never got to see her arrest record and she just never followed up. She, she never checked Wikipedia, the Zebhanary homeworld. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, wait, actually, that does make a certain amount of sense. Because if she did, then Thanos's speech about full bellies doesn't make any sense. Wait, who does he give that to? That's not to her, is it? It's to her. Well, then why would he bother telling her about it if she already knew or was in a position to know? Yeah. I why guess the she... fuck didn't she go find out? Don't worry about it, man. <laughs> Infinity War is nonsense and it remains nonsense. 
Yeah, I actually liked Endgame, and it made me like Infinity War less, because like, you, you could have done a better job. That's That seems like it'd be difficult, because you really didn't like Infinity War. I did not. No. We all did like Endgame. It's fine. It's a good. It's a good. It's a good superhero movie. Thanos did intentionally sit on the steps, but he also kidnapped her and tortured her sister, and then murdered her. So it's impossible to say whether he cares about her or not. <laughs> I, I think he's definitely mentally abusing both or all of his children. Uh, children, sure. Ch- that children. is the most. Uh, the idea that we're supposed to empathize with Wards. Thanos in that movie to any degree is just preposterous. All the Thanos supporters had a lot of whiplash in Endgame. And, like, I don't even exactly blame them because why did they make Infinity War that way? Why? Yeah. Now, what if there was, like, some sort of universal godlike way to determine if love was real or not. Okay. Or if there's a way to confirm that that he actually did love her, that was like the universe saying stamp of approval. Uh that that was actually what the soul stone was. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I I really like the probably labeled fan theory that the soul stone just doesn't care. It just wants to fuck with people. Any sort of death would have appeased it. It just wants to devastate as it does it. Well, they did in Endgame, and they could have to like show that maybe it didn't work the way, or maybe it illustrates some kind of difference between. But no, Crystal. This time, when they did, okay. I I can't believe they did i can't believe that that sequence where this is the last time period and uh, she's i'm still going to hold that that and are still no they they were pretty clear to establish that they are and even the awesome power of the infinity gauntlet cannot no. revive no, no, see... The Infinity she... Gauntlet is a little bit of a... ...in the movie compared to uh, the comics. The Gauntlet... ...because they are... St- oh. <laughs> so... ...got... ...got... ...on a technicality. Yeah. It's a... ...gauntlet? Well, no, he, he didn't, like... He didn't use his super... Okay. You will all be impressed when I'm proven right during the... ...movie. No, I won't. <laughs> I'll hate it. I'll hate it just like I hate everything that has anything to do with in any of these movies. Fuck Infinity War. And it whether or not that scene was more about establishing Rocket, the corollary effect is that it resets Thor to pre-Ragnarok. And then he's fat. Yeah. Now, I actually like Fat Thor, but we don't have time to get into that. No, we don't. I respect that you like the character, though. I... Do you like the way that the film treats him? Oh, no, it's definitely fatphobic. Okay. But also, I like it, so it's impossible to say whether it's good or bad. <laughs> no, that, that's the, it's, it, yeah, it's the perfect conundrum. The Breath of the Wild conundrum. I'm happy for and 
I'm going to have to bleep so much of this shit. <laughs> I'm happy for that under the director's, but not the writer's understanding of how that scene works. <laughs> uh-huh. Definitely. I'm happy that Joe Russo saved LGBT representation in cinema. Joe Russo, thank you. Thank you, Joe Russo. <laughs> God. Have you seen that tweet going around where uh, you vote uh, who did more for LGBT culture? Retweet for Mr. Ratburn and like for gay Joe Russo? I mean, it is Mr. Ratburn. Mr. Ratburn got retweeted a lot. He did do more. He actually got married on screen. Uh-huh. It took me until two days ago to realize that those vote things are framed the way they are so that the assumedly more popular choice is always in the retweet aisle. Yeah, so you can get the retweets. Right, but I didn't realize that before now because I'm a fool. <laughs> you fool. I guess it's my turn. This episode is us forgetting whose turn it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is by Painbow. Hey, Crystal, Monica, and Cameron. I've just finished part six of five of the Skyward Sword episodes. I forgot that we did that. I didn't. <laughs> and I like how there's, <laughs> there's a slow advancement in these emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in this episode, Cameron brings up that he believes that the Sky Realm is in a different dimension. Was that you or Crystal? It was me. Oh, okay. Hence why you can't see all the clouds from the surface. Right, right. I've got a different interpretation of that. I believe that Hylia hid the sky realm behind a visual barrier of some sort. I imagine it like a one-way window, where the sky you see from the surface is only an illusion. This can also be seen from the city in the sky from Twilight Princess, which is nowhere to be seen from anywhere on the ground. And if you look down from the city in the sky, the only thing before you is a sea of clouds. Picture sent as an attachment. Thank you. What are your thoughts on this interpretation? It doesn't add or take away anything. I just prefer it this way. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Painbow. Thank you, Painbow. That that and that city in the sky is a good point. The city mm. in the sky is definitely floating around with a cloud cover. I I thought that it wasn't visible from ground because it's just relatively not that big. And maybe it's very high up. The great sky? Or do you mean yeah, the city the, in the, the sky? the great sky or the... The city in the sky. The city in the sky. Uh, I uh, mm, I don't think that works for the Skyward Sword sky. Why? Because it's to scale with the land below it. Mm -hmm. There are holes in the clouds that drop straight down into the different regions of Hyrule. Are there? Yeah. that That's the primary means by which you first enter these regions. No, no, no. The city in the sky or uh, no, Skyloft? Skyloft. Sky, sky Skyloft. Okay. Sky Sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Skyloft big. City in the sky, maybe not so big. Wait, was the sun ever out in Twilight Princess? For some reason, I think of it as a very cloudy game. I think the sun was out. Fair. I got nothing. An airplane is not that big, but you can still see it from a pretty good distance on a clear day. No, higher. Higher than an airplane? Uh-huh. You'd have a lot of trouble breathing any higher than that. Yeah, that's why there's only chickens there. Oh. I mean, Oka, Uka, Uku. Chicken people. Yeah, you think when Link goes to the surface, much like John Carter of Mars, because he has evolved to breathe in a in in thin air, he can now breathe super good in the high oxygen environment. That's a real thing. Yeah. I wish I could do that. When I went to high altitudes, I could barely do anything. 
thought I was dying. I recently rewatched the John Carter 2012 movie. How was it? I've never seen it. It wasn't as good as I remembered, but it's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. There's something to it. Pulp Pulp makes for fun movies, I think. Taylor Kitsch's line delivery is not good. Oh, who does Taylor Kitsch play? Uh, John Carter of Mars. Oh, that's not good. That seems important. So what do we think of this theory? I guess one of the things is if 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 the sky as seen from the land in Skyward Sword is not real, then is Hylia like feeding the sun through and just photosynthesizing the, the plants on her own? Yes. Also, <laughs> the, I like this idea for the city in the sky and Twilight Princess. Because it creates the possibility that there's just this um, layer underneath it that's like a thin film of the Octo Camo from Metal Gear Solid 4. And it just displays an image of the sky. Yeah, it's like the thing from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Or the outside of Esther from FF8. Yeah. Boy, both of y'all went awful deep on those. Monica, most of all, that's fucked up. But it's also like a gaseous projection because Lincoln passed through it. Yeah, he didn't smash anything. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I guess. Or he just... It's like if you made a mirror out of gas. Or, because of the way physics works, he was actually lobbed above the city and dropped down onto it. Oh. Oh, so there's only a partial camo. Yeah, it's just the bottom part because why would you protect yourself from what's above you? I guess. I do like the idea of Octo Camouflage being a thing in The Legend of Zelda. So we're definitely saying that's what the uh, city in the sky is. I don't know about Skyloft, though. I still like my idea. <laughs> but this is also a cool idea, Painbow, and it's definitely getting applied to half the suggestions you've made. How many more do you want to do, Crystal? Let's do one more and then call it. Okay. <clears throat> I, th- I think it's my turn. Yeah. Okay. Pardon me. Hello, y'all. I have a little theory about Phantom Hourglass that is pretty fast and loose, so it probably doesn't hold up. Oh, that's our favorite kind, actually. Uh Uh-huh. So it goes like this. Zao's the blacksmith is Ganondorf. Wow, this is off to a strong (laughs) smart. Uh, Not only does he straight up just look like him, but Gerudo men are super uncommon, and he definitely looks Gerudo. After Link defeated him in Wind Waker, he reincarnated or fled with a small portion of his magic or something. And now he is recovering his power in this distant land before he tries some new evil plot. And when Link fucking strolls up on him, he panics because he definitely can't take him right now because he's essentially like baby Groot in his current form and he still needs more time. So he offers to help Link defeat Bellum, maybe eliminating the competition, by using his dark magic to craft a sword that can defeat the Phantoms and Bellum. Could even explain why you have to leave the hut while he crafts the sword, because he won't do the dark magic in front of you in case it gives him away. Then, after Link defeats Bellum and takes off at the end of the game, Ganondorf makes his play and kills the Ocean King and steals his power and begins preparing to do his evil thing he do. Perhaps he fled to this chaotic land specifically because of the battle between Bellum and the Ocean King, since it gives him a sort of cover to hide under and draw the attention away from himself. He would also have probably had an easier time deceiving the Ocean King in his weakened state as well. Sorry to send in an email about such an old episode, but I'm still catching up and I just listened to the Phantom Hourglass one. 
Thanks for making such a fun podcast. You three are the best. Your friend, Cordelia. Thanks, Cordelia. Thank you, uh, Cordelia. P.S. The Bane of Courage boss in the Courage Temple is absolutely the one that's invisible, and you see his perspective from the top screen, and he is one of my favorite bosses <laughs> from the entire franchise, and I'm glad Cam was excited about him, but I'm a little bummed no one else remembered him. Yeah! <laughs> I love the way this game used the unique layout of the DS for its boss fights. You're goddamn right, Cordelia. You're absolutely correct. And I'm glad that you wrote in. I remember that I forgot. Yeah. That is the part you remember. I felt bad, too, when I felt like I was just remembering things that weren't real. I'm sorry I gaslit you. (laughs) What do we think of this idea of Zaus as Ganondorf? Um, Zaus does identify themselves as not human right he's a cobble he's a cobble but the other cobble person that is alive does also look like a grudo and have red hair are they female yes oh it's um astrid oh it's astrid the fortune teller yes i didn't know wait yeah i knew she was something i didn't remember she was a cobble what a weird name for an ethnicity cobble i think it was based on their dungeon (laughs) yeah here is Astrid. I remember Astrid. Don't worry about me. Her assistant died and she wasn't that upset about it. But neither was he, so it all worked out. So <laughs> I I like the idea of Ganondorf like hiding in this really what he thinks is a secure spot and then Link busts in and he's like, oh, oh fuck shit. Again with this kid. I also like the idea of him making the sword where it's like you're you're having trouble getting your ass whipped by phantoms? Yeah, hold on. Give me a second. Here. Yeah, th- this will do it. This will do you good. I know phantoms. I do know from phantoms. You know, the cobble people are based on Egyptian aesthetics. That's... Oh, God. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so, too, also is the Yu-Gi-Oh! monster, Mudora. For our listeners who can't see what I'm seeing right now, Crystal has just sent me and Monica a link to the Yu-Gi-Oh! wiki, and we are currently looking at Mudora. Sort of an uh, Egyptian-themed swordsman. He's definitely an anime take on what uh, an Egyptian swordsman might look like. Where are we going with this, Crystal? So I think Mudora of the Book of Mudora was a member of the Cobble people. Ta-da! Oh, (laughs) that just also happens to get really mad when they see dead fairies. Yes. Which ties into the fairies being part of the plot in Phantom Hourglass. And if you want more proof, the king of the cobble is called King Muto. And what's Yugi's last name? Yugi Modo. I think we have satisfied the the email request for the craziest take. I think I have to lie the fuck down. (laughs) This is... The most out there take. Oh. And Muto is the boss of the Carpenters from Ocarina of Time outside oh, of God. Garuda Valley. You're right. That is his name. He cobbles. Mm-hmm. He does cobble. Together a bridge. Amongst other things. So those guys are cousins of the cobble people from the old kingdom. What do we think about the idea that Ganondorf just goes over there and pretends to be a cobble because he looks sort of like one? I traditionally do like the fanfics well maybe not the fanfics but the idea of the fanfics where because it's the same Gandorf, he has all of that foreknowledge or past knowledge advantage over links and zeldas he can see a kid walking around and it goes you shit 
And in, in this particular one, it is very humorous to have him like sweating bullets every time Link is around. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's great. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So sure. Yeah, I'm for it. Stamp of approval. It's very humorous. It's not true, but we like it. <laughs> it's not going in the timeline, but I like it a lot. But it's not going in. Just it might go in the timeline. Oh, God. Okay, we'll litigate that when the time comes. Hey, Crystal, where do we even send in questions to the podcast? Well, you, of course, can send in questions to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That's bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. And also just send it in to me on Twitter at ArcaneCrystal. Or also to me on Twitter at CamRider. I recall that Cordelia wrote us a joke. Yeah, Cordelia did write, write write us a joke. This will but save before Crystal. Before we get to that, oh yes, there's no. We're we're this podcast is a member of the Audio Entropy Network of podcasts. Oh yes, it is. You can find lots of other great podcasts on there, like Totally Reprise, Teenagers with Attitude, Let's Place, Let's Steal a Podcast. It's a podcast after all. D comedy. And Basho and Tell. Crystal, aren't you also on some of these other podcasts? Yeah, I'm on Let's Place, where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game according to how good it is. And MCU Complete Me, where we subjectively rank every Marvel movie according to how much we like it. Gee, Crystal, that's a lot to keep up with. If I wanted an easy place to find the content where I can follow you specifically, where would I do that? Well, you can find that content on patreon.com slash arcane crystal. If you kick in a couple bucks a month, you can listen to these podcasts early. And if you kick in 10 bucks a month, I'll read your name out at the end of the podcasts. Like Audrey and Manny, who gave 10 bucks a month. Yeah, Audrey and Manny. Thank you. super patrons. Provably cool people. Joke time. Monica's head just whipped up in anticipation of you reading this fucking joke Joke to her. time. Okay, okay. This joke comes in from Cordelia. How do you measure the expanse of a ruined kingdom? Uh, how? How? You find the breadth of the wild. <laughs> yeah! Oh. The breadth and the width. The breadth of the, the wild. Of the, yeah, I got it. I Fuck! <laughs> That's really good. Oh, that's so bad, but it works. It's fantastic. Okay, good. I'm glad. All right, good night, everybody. Bye. Good night.